Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. You're listening to the Fish Untamed podcast, your home for fly fishing the backcountry. episode 108 with Benny Picars on fishing the Vale Valley and exploring the West. Well, I start every episode by getting a background on my guests because I like to know, you know, how they got into the outdoors and into fishing. So um, tell me how you got into fly fishing. So my dad, I'm originally from Chicago, and you know a lot of people don't think of Chicago as necessarily a, uh, a fly fishing hub, but with Lake Michigan being there, uh, you know them putting uh, steelhead salmon, and there's also lake brown brown trout in there, and then a lot of tributaries, you know mainly coming in from Wisconsin and the Michigan side that some hold uh, resident brown trout, um, and then there's smallmouth bass and largemouth bass. Um, and so my dad was, you know, into fly fishing. He got into fly fishing via my uncle up in Wisconsin. And so when I think I was about seven years old, he had taken me up there a couple of times before, but I wasn't really, you know, just kind of there to be with him. And then, uh, he got me some, uh, old Hodgman neoprene waders and I was getting in the river with him and, you know, we were going chasing steelhead. And I think I caught my first sucker the first time I went out, I, I was six or seven. And then the next time we went out, um, yeah, obviously with his help, but uh, got into some coho salmon and some steelhead. And after that, I was just hooked, you know, no pun intended, obviously, but it was, uh, it was great. And uh, I still have a photo of me and him uh, with the fish. And, and after that, uh, I just loved it. I kind of knew growing up, like, most of my extended family was from Mich- or sorry from Wisconsin and a few in Michigan and we would go up to visit them and I just loved it everything that we could do 
uh, just be outside. I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. And I just wanted to, wanted to be outside. So, uh, from an early age, I kind of knew that Chicago was not the place for me. And, uh, and any chance we could get, we'd go outside. Um, and then in, in high school, I started going up, uh, during the summers and working at a horse ranch in Michigan. And, uh, and then there's lakes and ponds. And so I'd bring the fly rod out and chase all the resident bass around. And, uh, I just thought it was the greatest thing. And then, you know, as soon as I could get out of Chicago, I was off. <laughs> so did you go straight to fly fishing then? You'd ever like went through a window of like chucking bait or what was that? What was that progression? No, definitely before that, you know, any other time when I wasn't, you know, with my dad, I'd be on a, a regular spin casting reel oh, okay. and did that, but it just didn't hold my attention as much. I liked how active fly fishing was. Um, and then, you know, I just wanted to do everything my dad was doing. So watching him pick up a fly rod, uh, it just, it just kept my attention a lot more and it seemed a little bit more difficult and I liked it. Is fly fishing what brought you West? Um, in a sense, yes, it's kind of a, kind of a crazy story. Um, as I said, I was going to Michigan working at horse ranches during, uh, during my summers in high school. And then after my freshman year of college at Michigan state, uh, I wanted to go out West and work as a wrangler at a ranch in the Bob Marshall wilderness. Um, and when I was, you know, looking for jobs as well, there was a position for a fly fishing guide slash wrangler. And so I was working, you know, and I applied and I was, you know, my hopes were, uh, well, not the highest because I was, you know, like, well, they're going to hire a kid from Chicago to do this. And so I applied to a lot of different ranches, uh, but this one in particular was the one that I was most interested in. And, um, and I got the job. And so I was, uh, you know, a wrangler and we would take people up to high, high Alpine lakes and streams along, you know, when we're doing these pack trips and we'd go for seven to 10 days and, you know, take people from anywhere from like 40 to a hundred miles on horseback. And, and then, it wasn't really a fly fishing trip, but we had guys that were anglers that wanted to, you know, get out and fish. So I would take them to, to little streams in the North Fork of the Sun River and catching little browns and brookies and, and loved it. Um, and so uh, after that, I was sold on the West in the mountains and, uh, you know, almost decided not to continue college. But, uh, you know, after all the pressure from parents and family, I was like, I better do this. I don't uh, piss anybody off too much. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And then uh, after my sophomore year of college, I uh, got licensed as a commodities futures trader at the Chicago Board of Trade and decided that that's not really the life path I wanted to follow. And so um, as, you know, as soon as I could finish up college, I was heading out to Alaska to be a commercial salmon fisherman. And then came to Vail to be a ski instructor and then, uh, you know, kept fly fishing all the way through and decided I wanted to stay in Colorado and be a fly fishing guide. So what, what caused you to bounce between all these, I, I want to visit like all of these things because they're all, they're all really interesting, but like, it sounds like you really loved the backcountry wrangler fly fishing gig that you had. Um, what caused you to not go back to that and instead go, you know, be a salmon fisherman in Alaska and then bounce down and like instruct skiing? Like what, how did all these things come together? So I was, um, I was pretty into academics as well. And so I got asked to be a TA, uh, at Michigan state from a professor that I had taken her class and we really got along. And, um, and so after I came back from, uh, guiding in Montana, 
I was like, I really wanted to do that again. And she was like, you know, Benny, you really should try an internship with what you're studying to see if it's what you like. And so I wrestled with that decision for a little while. And then it was ultimately like, yeah, you're right. I probably should, you know, give this a shot, even though I kind of already knew that I was, you know, in search of more of an outdoor lifestyle. And so, um, yeah, so did some networking and was able to get this job, the Chicago Board of Trade. And, uh, as an intern and, you know, I started doing all of the minuscule little office tasks and, uh, I kind of, you know, just powered through all those right away. And they were like, well, we just hired some guys out of college and they're studying to take their series three and series 66 exams to be licensed traders. And they're like, you know, we're going to put you through that as well. And, uh, and I was able to pass and get licensed and got a really good taste of the industry. And, um, but knew right away that that wasn't really what I was in, you know, searching for and how I wanted to, you know, not the direction I wanted to take my life in. So, um, and then, like I said, I had to, you know, I was kind of contemplating just, uh, going straight into the outdoor world and maybe not finishing up college, but after having, you know, talks with my family and everything, I decided that it was probably a better choice just to keep pushing through and get my degree. And, uh, so I, my junior year, I went and studied abroad and lived in Europe, uh, for the better part of, uh, eight months. And, uh, and it was, you know, just trying to f- figure out exactly what I wanted to do, who I wanted to become. And, uh, I met a guy out there who had been, uh, a, a salmon fisherman in Alaska in, on Kodiak Island. And I was like, man, that sounds amazing. Like Alaska has always been a dream of mine. And, you know, and I was like, man, you know, I, uh, I finished up, uh, that in, or the, uh, study abroad trip and, and went back to finish up my senior year of college. And, you know, deciding what I wanted to do. And I reached out to him. I was like, man, can you pass along the contact for the people you, uh, you worked for in Alaska as a commercial salmon fisherman? And he did. And I reached out to them and they didn't need anybody, but they said they would put the word out. And, uh, you know, about two months later, they, you know, somebody called me saying that they were in search of a crew member. And I was like, I would love to. And so the day I was supposed to walk, you know, in graduation, I was headed out to Kodiak Island to uh, be a commercial salmon fisherman and spent, uh, you know, from May until October out there and just fell in love with it and was able to do some fly fishing, you know, when we weren't chasing salmon around and, uh, and absolutely loved it. Um, and then it kind of all rolls together. And I met some people, I was out there who were like, what are you going to do after the season's over? And I said, man, I really want to go and, you know, ski every day and live in a mountain town. And so they, uh, they said they had been in Vail for about, you know, on and off for 10 years. And, you know, they had some connections for housing and this and that. And, um, and I had loved skiing, you know, skiing mainly in the Midwest growing up, but just loved it too. So went out there and, uh, and skied and became a kid ski instructor. And, uh, and then, yeah, and fly fished, you know, all winter and spring as well. And then went and did another, uh, another season in Alaska as a salmon fisherman and then came back to Colorado and kind of decided that I wanted to stick in Colorado. And so I started working, uh, for a local outfitter and, uh, started guiding trips. And I just, you know, once, once I had done it for, you know, a season, I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. So tell me, tell me what it's like to be a salmon fisherman. Like I have no idea in my mind, people wouldn't come out of it saying it's super fun. Um, but maybe I'm picturing like the really harsh, like the, the crab fishermen and stuff that are out there with the like freezing seas. Like t- tell me what it's, what your experience was that you, that made you like it so much. You know, I think it's one of those experiences where during it, you're kind of like, uh, 
this kind of okay. sucks and it's really tough. It's like one of those experiences where you're afterwards, you're like, man, I can look back at that and say that that was really, okay. you know, enjoyable or fun or it really had a, a lasting impression on me. But yeah, no, it's definitely, it's not easy. Um, I did it for two seasons. We were, uh, you know, set netting off a remote island, uh, off a of Kodiak Island and the island is called Uganic. And, um, and so we would go out and we'd be working the nets and boats, you know, during the day. And then we'd go back to this, uh, this plywood shack pretty much at night and, and sleep and then wake up and just do it all over again. And it was totally remote. Uh, and you know, and I loved it, but there was definitely, you know, the days that where you struggle where the weather is not nice whatsoever and long days and your hands hurt, your backs hurt and, you know, back hurts. And it's, uh, and that's probably why I only did it for two seasons. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I don't really know how to like phrase this question, but I feel like if I if I were to go do something like that, I feel like I could see myself being drawn in by the allure of like a job in fishing. Um, but it sounds, you know, obviously very different than, for example, guiding fly fishing. Like those are two very different worlds. Um, did you find that you showed up and you um, enjoyed it because you were connected to fishing and you loved fishing, or? Did it, was it just the experience of like being in Alaska and doing something kind of uh, like cool and different, but it, it wasn't really filling the same hole in your life that fly fishing would? Does, it, does that make sense at all? Absolutely. No, and you, and you totally hit it right. It, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't really the allure of the fishing, it was the allure of everything else. Being, being out in a remote area, being in boats every day on the ocean, seeing the whales, doing the work, le- learning new things, um, just all of it. You know, it's, it's when you're out there, you're totally, into that life. I mean, there's nothing else going on, you know, living remote, you're, you know, the food, the fishing, the, you know, keep up of camp, the keep up of boats and all the fishing gear. And then, uh, you know, it was my first time in Alaska and it's just absolutely breathtaking, especially Kodiak Island is just a special place. Um, you know, the bears, the whales, the salmon too. And I mean, just everything about it, uh, was just fascinating. And, and, and I was able to do, you know, some fly fishing for salmon and for, uh, you know, for rainbows and steelhead up there as well. So, uh, it just checked off a lot of different boxes and it was just a, a great experience. I think I was just searching for that, those new experiences to me, the adventure, uh, and being in a totally wild, remote place like that, uh, was just, uh, incredible. Now, do you still guide for the same um, outfitter that you started guiding at in Colorado, or have you moved on or started your own thing at this point? I don't. I am uh, now. I am the general manager uh, and guide for Colorado Angling Company, um, and uh, I started uh, moved out to Colorado in 2010, um, and then you know was was fly fishing out here, but didn't start guiding until uh, I think it was the it was the spring of. 2012 if i'm correct yeah in colorado and then um and then had uh worked for minter anglers for years which is another uh, out there in the valley and then um and then i kind of started bouncing around i started going uh up to alaska again but this time guiding for steelhead on the kenai peninsula um and then i've guided for a couple different lodges in bristol bay during a couple different summers uh guided for steelhead in idaho uh, in the winter months and then, um, and then started guiding for Colorado angling company about five years ago when a good friend of mine started it. Um, and this is my first year, uh, managing it and we're, we're really taking it to the next level and, uh, 
trying to put out a product that we're, you know, that we're very proud of and, and offering some different things that other outfitters in the Valley don't provide. What is the, what is it like seeing things from both a guide's perspective and a manager's perspective? Like what, what are the guides not, not seeing that's going on behind the scenes that you have now experienced as a manager? Um, you know, I think, I think my idea of you know, being a fly fishing guide was to try to be outside as much as possible. And, uh, and the customer service part of it is amazing. And I think that's one of the things that really is why I love it. Um, I think the main thing is there's a lot of backend computer work, a lot of backend logistics and organization and things that as a guide, you know, you don't necessarily have to deal with or worry about. Um, but it's, it's mainly just a lot of organization and it's uh, seven days a week. And, you know, you've got your busy, busy times and then things slow down and pick back up. But um, yeah, organization, a lot of, uh, I've learned a lot more computer skills um, and just little tricks of, of keeping myself, uh, keeping myself organized that, uh, that I didn't have to worry about as much when I was just guiding. Now, do you still do uh, ski instruction in the winter or is this now full-time since you're, uh, you are both guiding and managing, has that kind of taken over at this point? Yeah, that has. I'm not ski instructing anymore. Uh, it was a ski instructor for Vail, uh, full, full time for a couple uh, winter seasons. And then I kind of did more of a part-time thing because um, I started bouncing around and guiding other places more. Um, but I'm also a uh, private chef here in the Valley. And then in the off seasons, I pick up a little carpentry work too. So, uh, you know, do a little bit of everything to, uh, to keep the dream alive, but they're all things I'm passionate about as well. I love, you know, love building things, working with my hands. I love to cook. Um, and I love to guide and, and, uh, I kind of think in a strange way, they all have a lot of similar, you know, similar characteristics to each job and, um, and providing, you know, with the chefing and the guiding for sure, providing a certain experience for your clients and the organization and, and just, you know, starting off from scratch and then making everything kind of come together and work and be a product that you're, that you're proud of and, and, you know, providing people with a, either a great day on the water or a terrific meal in the evening. And, um, you know, at Colorado Angling Company, we do a little bit of both and we kind of, we offer a trip we call a cast and taste where we'll take people fishing and we have a private little cabin right on the Eagle River. And so, we, you know, during the float season, we can float people right up to the cabin, get out and uh, and have a beautiful meal waiting for them and, and they can hang out uh, next to the river and, and eat. And it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to see it all come together. Oh, that's super cool. Do you, so do you have, um, like if you're the one guiding, who's, who's making the food here? Are you kind of like coordinating the logistics behind that or how does that work? Uh, we do, uh, one of the owners of Colorado England company is he's a, uh, a chef by trade as well. And, okay. he, and so we, uh, we tag team a lot of things or, uh, or, you know, it's a lot of extra work that goes into it. We'll prep the night before and get everything ready. And so that when we're getting off the river, we can, uh, you know, whip things up really quickly or, uh. Yeah, it's, a, it's just mainly a lot of prep and organization that goes all into it. But we kind of tag team uh, doing the work with each other so that it seems like a flawless and seamless experience for our clients. I want to come back to the fishing, but I want to hear more about like what being a private chef in particular is like. Like The carpentry is cool, too. Um, like I, I would also like to hear how you got into that. But like what what is what is involved in being a private chef? Like Who hires you and what do you do? Oh, well, you know, living in Vail, um, there's there's a lot of people who are coming out with larger groups or, or just want specific experiences and want to, you know, have 
have a restaurant like meal at their home. And so, uh, you know, a lot of it for us is word of mouth and we've been in the Vale Valley long enough so that, you know, we get certain people who we've cooked for every time they come out or they'll have friends that come out and are looking for more of a stay at home meal than going to restaurants. And so, uh, you know, we talk to them, coordinate and see what, what they're kind of looking for. And, you know, we've done, you know, four person really intimate dinners up to, uh, up to bigger things like weddings and other parties like that. But yeah, just it's it's discussing about what they're actually looking for and, you know, if they want more of a, a fully multi-course plated meal or if they are looking for more of like a past apps and kind of more of a, a party, you know, party type scenario where we're, you know, we get some servers and they're walking around, passing around while people are doing cocktail hour. And so we, we pretty much customize everything to, to fit whatever uh, needs people have. I feel like this sounds to me a lot like guiding in that um, you've got to you've got to cater to what the client wants, and every client could want something completely different. Like there's not like a cookie cutter. This is what you're doing. Like if you know you show up one day to guide, and somebody wants to catch a 20 inch trout, and they're not going to leave unless that happens, or they're not going to be happy unless that happens. And then you have somebody else who's like, I just want to be out here and like look at birds, and I don't really care if I catch anything, but show me a good time and teach me something, and like if you do the wrong one of those things, then you weren't a good guide on that trip. Like you, you have to kind of listen to what the person wants and show them, you know, that experience. Is that, is that similar to somebody asking for a meal and you show up and have to, you know, make that happen? A hundred percent. I think that either being, you know, being a good guide or, you know, a good chef, it's a little about, you know, you've got to understand what, uh, what your client's expectations are and what their needs are. And so being able to read that either, you know, beforehand when you talk to them uh, or on the fly when you're actually either in the boat or, or guiding them or you're at their house cooking for them um, and really being able to deliver the experience that they're looking for. Uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, do certain things well. I think what really can make you a good guide or a good chef is being able to really provide whatever it is that your clients want. And, and you said it perfectly, you know, some people just want to be out on the river and aren't necessarily looking for the most fish or the biggest fish, just enjoying that day. And some people, that's why they're out there is to catch the biggest or the most fish. Um, same thing on the chef side too. Um, I think it's just really important to be able to understand what they're looking for and then to provide that, you know, regardless of, of what you necessarily are thinking would be maybe a better meal or anything like that. I think it's just mainly being able to meet their expectations and, and hopefully surpass them. Gotcha. And that goes for guiding and checking. Yeah. Um, I want to hear just a little bit about like the fishing around Vale. So you said you live in Eagle, right? But you work in Vale? I do or live. You're kind of, based out of, okay. Um, um, in the whole Vale Valley. And we guide, you know, on, okay. on the Eagle, up on the Colorado and the Roaring Forks. So we cover a little bit of area. Yes, yeah, so without giving any of your like honey holes away, um, tell me about like the fishing in that area, like where you guide or where you just like to fish. What kind of water is up there? Because you you mentioned some of the big rivers. Uh, do people ever go to like the smaller streams in the area? Are they ever looking for like, kind of more of a mountain experience, like getting up into the small streams? Or just give me like an overview of um, like where you like to fish and guide. Uh, I love our home river, the Eagle. It's a fully freestone river, and um, and so you know a lot of changes happen very quickly. Uh, but it, it is amazing. There's nothing like floating down, you know, the upper section of the Eagle, uh, mainly from Edwards to Walcott, Colorado, and then, uh, 
It's just a really fun technical stretch and the dry fly fishing can be incredible early in the summer and uh and and it's fun. It's a you know it's a fast moving river, a lot of rocks so when you're rowing, it keeps you on your toes and uh and it's a lot, you know, a lot of fun for the anglers too. Sometimes it can be a little difficult for beginners at first, but uh that's part of the fun for it as a guide too is really, you know, teaching somebody on the move and, and getting them to uh to do what you need them to do so that they can have a you know successful day on the water. We don't do a ton of of backcountry hiking trips. To be honest, a lot of people are sticking to the main rivers, the Eagle, the Colorado, or the Roaring Fork. But but we do uh, you know we get we get a lot of people that uh, that have houses out here. We get a lot of people who are just coming on vacation that uh, either are experienced fly fishermen or are that are first timers, and so we see the whole gamut. Um, and I think that, uh, it really tests you as a guide too, because you're really every day, something, you know, the, the experience is different. The people are different and it's a lot of fun to, uh, to test your skills on, you know, taking out a never ever, um, you know, on a more technical river or, uh, or somebody who's been all over the world and, you know, going to more places than I've ever been to fly fish. So yeah, I think it really makes you a nice, you know, well-rounded guide because every day is a little bit different and you're, uh, you, like we were talking, you've got to be able to, uh, to kind of read what their expectations are and then hopefully match them or succeed or surpass them. So keeps you on your toes. Have you ever thought about doing um, trips like you used to do uh, up in Montana, like the multi-day, I don't know if you'd have horses or, but just some kind of like extended uh, trip like that, since that's kind of where you wet your toes in the West. Um, We've done, I feel like I feel, I, I really haven't thought about doing it here in the Vail Valley, but I, uh, I think I've chased it. In other places, in, in Alaska and Idaho, where we've had people come for multiple days and have hit different stretches of rivers or, uh, you know, in Alaska, hopping in float planes and flying to different rivers or helicopters and getting out to remote areas. And, and uh, you know, Alaska taking people for a whole week at the lodge and then showing them a different experience. And so, uh, you know, a little different than doing it via horseback in Montana, but kind of the same premise. Um and, uh, you know, I think there's some outfitters here that do it in Colorado. Uh, I think in the specific location I'm in, it's definitely possible. And I know for, for an outfitter I used to work for, we would partner up with a ranch to offer, you know, a day trip where we'd take people up. And it'd probably be like a, a six-hour round trip uh, excursion, but we would, you know, hop on horseback, take them up to a high alpine lake and stream to catch some beautiful cutties, and then come back down just for a day. But now I haven't really uh, thought about too much about really putting you know extended trips like that together but i would love to do it that was so much fun another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. How did, how do the different states compare since you, I mean, you've been everywhere from Alaska to Colorado and I feel like you could argue that places like Colorado and Wyoming are close enough that they're, they're kind of similar. But, um, when you think of all the states that you've guided in or fished in, how do they compare? Are they are they pretty similar, or are they pretty starkly different? And do you have a, a preference? Like, is there a state that like really has your heart? Alaska definitely has my heart. Um, 
I haven't been back to to Montana as much as I'd like to have. Uh, but um, I don't know. Everyone always asks me, and that's one of the you know one of the questions you get is like, "Where's your favorite place to fish?" And I think I, I love every place for those little differences. You know, it's very fun to to kind of bounce around and and go to each place. Because there are, even though, you know, like you were saying that Colorado and Wyoming are pretty similar, but there are little differences that make each one special. Um, I had the privilege of going up to a private ranch uh, in southern Wyoming, just a few hours north of Vail, and uh, and take clients there. And that place was absolutely amazing, but it was a lot different than kind of at least the rivers that I guide around here in Colorado. And so being able to go up there and take people for, we would do, you know, anywhere from like two to to five days up there. Um, and it was a, a treat to go up there and, uh, it was a little tiny tailwater, uh, you know, slower moving water, but big fish and, you know, really eager to come up to eat big dry flies. So that was a lot of fun, but then it was fun to come back to, you know, to the Vale area and then have to get a little bit more technical sometimes and throw in either really small dry flies or, you know, go in subsurface and, and catch them on size 22s and 24s. So, uh, I think I appreciate each one of them for, you know, further little differences. Uh, there is no place like Alaska, though. It is absolutely just wild. And even within Alaska, it's so big that some, you know, all the rivers can be so different that, you know, uh, it's almost like you're you're traveling to a different state sometimes. Is it the fishing of Alaska or the, the grandeur of it or is it both? I think it's the whole package. Okay. <laughs> just everything. The fishing is amazing, too, but the... The views, the wildlife, you know, the way you get around, uh, just all of it. And I, I almost think that, that for me, it's that way with, with all of the places. I mean, I love fly fishing, but sometimes, and even more as I get older and I've guided longer, it's about the, the entire experience, you know, where you're at, the people you're with, how every day can just be a little bit different. All of that together just keeps it very interesting and fresh for me. And I, and I love that. Uh, in Colorado, what is your... What if if you have a day off? What does your perfect day of fishing look like? Like where where are you going to go? Again, not not honey holes, but like what kind of fishing you're going to do on your own if you've got a day off and you've got all the time in the world to go do whatever you want. I want to be in a boat somewhere, hopefully on you know one of the less crowded rivers, and either throwing dry flies or streamers. And I assume you're not the one rowing it. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. You know, <laughs> hopefully I've got a buddy behind the sticks, but. Uh, there's nothing like getting together with a couple of buddies, all who can row and, uh, and getting out there and just taking turns, you know, as much as I love catching fish, it's even more fun to watch other people catch them as well. Um, especially when you got a couple good buddies and, you know, it's more about the conversation and being out there and getting a couple here and there and just taking in the scenery. And, you know, I think that sometimes when you're out on the river and it's really, you know, you really want to do a good job for your clients and you want to see them catch a lot of fish that sometimes you kind of forget. You know, we get to look around a little bit. You're so focused on trying to figure out what the fish are doing, what the bugs are doing, making sure all the clients' needs are taken care of. Um, so it's nice to kind of reset and sit back and just, uh, you know, sometimes be in the boat and, and not even pick up the rod for just a little bit, just to, just to float down and enjoy it. Um, yeah. And is it mostly is it mostly a, um, a brown and rainbow fishery up there? Or do you guys have uh, many opportunities at cutthroats or brook trout? Um, if you get up to the, the smaller high alpine streams and, and, uh, lakes. Absolutely. But, uh, but mainly down on the, on the bigger stems and, uh, and rivers, there's, you know, mainly browns and rainbows. Okay. And whitefish, I assume at least in the, I know they're in the fork. Are they in, um, like the Colorado and the Eagle as well? Yeah, they are. 
Okay. And there are some toads. Yeah. <laughs> I love whitefish and so much. Fun. I did too. I like, I don't know. Some people give them a bad rap, but they're a lot of fun. They pull hard, you know, right off the bat. And then, you know, I guess when they give up, they do give up pretty good, but uh, they're fun. And it's always fun to see how, you know, how much they can bend a five weight. Do your clients tend to have opinions on them? Because I feel like I've I've always thought of them, at least in the kind of the popular opinion of being kind of trash fish and no one wants to catch them. But a lot of my friends say they really love catching whitefish and so do I. So I don't know if this is something that has changed, like if, peop- if there's a new perception of them or like, what have you noticed? Have people come around? I think it depends on people's experience level. I think that, you know, people, when they think about it, they're, you know, rainbow trout or brown trout, right? And so they catch a whitefish and it's not necessarily their, you know, target species. Uh, but I always, I never downplay it. I'm like, man, that was a great fighter. That is yeah. a massive fish, you know, to get it in the net. I'm like, will you hold this thing and feel how strong they are? Because they are just you know, compared to a trout, they are just rock solid, yes, you know? Yes, they are. <laughs> um, yeah. And and I just, I, you know, I like I said, I never downplay them. It is really fun when someone hooks up on one and, and isn't sure that it's not a rainbow or brown at first. And they're like, oh my God. Yeah. Like if it's a big whitefish, like this thing is massive and, you know, and you get it and, you know, sometimes they'll maybe be, you know, a little unhappy that it's not, you know, a big silver rainbow, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, for me, the tug is the drug. I think, you know, it's just as fun when you get one of those and, and all the excitement and stuff, you know, before it gets in the net. I mean, it's just, just as much fun. Absolutely. Um, no, I think they fight way harder than trout. So I always love when I yeah, get Yeah. So I, I think it depends on who, you know, who you're with. I always try to tell them that, Hey, it's still a sport fish and it was, you know, great fight. And in my books, that's what really matters. And native. Um, yeah, exactly. And native. What's the biggest one you've seen pulled out of that area? Do you know? Oh, well, just the other day on the fork, uh, we landed one that was pushing 25, 26 inches. Holy crap. Wow. That's like my dream. Yeah. <laughs> to catch a white it fish was, yeah. Big. <laughs> it was, you know, four, four plus pounds. It was heavy. It filled up my net and, and it was great. The guy had a blast and uh, <laughs> there are some guys that fish quite a bit. And so we just, you know, I unhooked it and put it right back in the water. They don't want a picture or anything, but I was like, you sure? I kind of wanted a picture of it, <laughs> but we were on the move in the boat and I was like, all right, put it right back. But yeah, it was, you know, it was a blast and it was one of those things. It was on a dry dropper. And so, um, you know, we caught it in some, some shallower water and, uh, and we saw a couple flashes, but we weren't really sure what it was. And so I was like, man, play this thing. This is a big fish. And it came to the net and we all had a good laugh and, you know, he was like, yeah, that was awesome. And then, you know, set it free. But, uh, yeah, there's some big white fish. Do you ever catch them on dry flies? I don't. I don't associate them with like really rising much. But I, you obviously have way more experience around them than I do, being on those rivers all the time. Do they ever come to the surface, or are they pretty much always on the nymph? They're pretty much always on the nymph. I've never seen okay. one come up for a dry. Um, you know, and typically sometimes you know you you're catching them. You know, when you're right on the bottom. Okay. Yep. That's the so, experience you know, I've had too. They're not. Yeah, they're not suspended a lot, and so this was kind of an interesting scenario. Where we were, we were casting, like I said, it was a dry dropper and I probably had about, you know, three and a half feet between my dry and my first nymph and then about, you know, 16 inches to my second. And, um, and just the way that it came in, I think we, you know, cast it in some faster water and it dropped right into a bucket and it was just right there. And, uh, yeah, I was kind of surprised. It was the only one we caught that day and it was a big fish. Worth it. Yeah, totally worth it. Uh, you mentioned like seeing some flashes, but I, like I've, I've always associated with whitefish with being very difficult to see in the water. Like there's times, uh, especially on like the crystal, which, which is our kind of like preferred whitefish fishery. Like I feel like we, that's where we go if we want to catch some and they're not huge, mm-hmm. but they're, they're plentiful. Um, 
and I'll look in a hole and I know like the kind of water they hang out in and I'll look in there. I'll be like, I swear I can see everything in this hole and I don't see anything. Um, and then you pull like four whitefish out and you're like, how, how are they hiding down there? They blend in so well and um, kind of transitions us into the last thing I want to talk about, which was um, how you and I met in Belize. They remind me a lot of bonefish. Like they kind of just disappear. They kind of look almost bonefish like, but something about that color, like, I don't know if it's like the iridescence a little bit and that grayish color, they just sink down to the bottom and disappear into the nothingness. Uh, do you, have you gotten better at like spotting them? No, no. And that was the only time I saw them flashes when after we had hooked it and, you know, I'm trying to, you know, just get a glimpse of what we're fighting. And so when I saw the flash, it was just because he was, you know, coming up to the surface a little bit and then going right back down. And so I just saw the side of it as he came up, you know, higher up into the water column. So the sun hit him a little bit. And I was like, man, I don't know, you know, either that's a really, really big, you know, rainbow or really big whitefish. You know, it was silvery enough. Um, but no, I, I never see them. Okay. That and makes I, you know, feel I'm better. Not, yeah. No. And I don't, you know, not going into a lot of holes, you know, necessarily looking for them, but you know, they're down there. And the, but the comparison between a bonefish, I think in a lot of ways is very correct. I mean, just the way, uh, the way they feel, the way they're shaped, their color, everything. Yeah. The, the way bone they fish of the Rockies. Yeah. You should start, uh, <laughs> you should start like touting that, you know, put it on your posters and stuff in the fly shops and just get people to really be jazzed about whitefish. <laughs> exactly. I love them. I don't know. I would never, I think any fish is a great fish. And, uh, and yeah, I will never complain about getting a, a white fish on the end of my line, especially, you know, a big chunky one. So right. <laughs> whoever doesn't like white fish, you know, whatever, leave them for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, like I mentioned, is um, the trip to Belize, because that's where I met you. Um, we yeah. randomly ended up at the same lodge and uh, found out that we were not too far from each other here. But um, how did you kind of get into taking these like bigger trips? Because uh, this is our first saltwater trip, but you you seem to have um, had a bit more experience. I don't know if in Belize specifically, but just targeting saltwater fish. So how did you start taking these trips? And uh, you know, tell me how your experience in Belize was. The first saltwater... Trip I had done um, some. On, I was on a family trip when I was a teenager, and we were down in Florida, and just had uh, yeah opportunity to go out and uh, and with a family friend and chase it. And I just you know it was so different than anything I had had targeted with a fly rod. I was like, man, this is amazing. And then as I started guiding, you know, got more and more opportunities, knowing other guides and knowing more people in the fishing world who were going down the trips. I was able to get down to Mexico a couple times, and then. Uh, you know, about four or five years ago, a buddy of mine uh, bought a fishing lodge down in Mexico and have been there since a few times. And I think that's one of the biggest things, you know, fly fishing has brought me. And it, it's not just about the fishing anymore. It's such a connection between uh, great people and, and nature and the outdoors and the places it can take you uh, and the new experiences it can give you all around. Uh, just makes it, you know, it's it's a lifestyle in a sense. And it just provides so many things that I guess I, you know, as a kid, I never really saw myself doing. And I don't think there's, if I had a chance to go anywhere to chase any kind of fish, I don't think I would ever turn it down. Saltwater fishing is such a different deal than any kind of, you know, trout fishing you know, or anywhere. And, and it's, uh, it's a great other way to test yourself too, and to learn more about the sport. Ever since I chased, started, you know, my, I'm trying to remember my first time ever chasing permit and, and just how, you know, frustrating it can be. And you're standing there on the front of a boat and looking in the water and, you know, when you're, you go your first time, you're like, man, I can't see anything. What's this guy talking about? He's yelling, 
you know, 30 feet at three o'clock and you're like, I don't even, there's nothing there. I don't see yeah. a thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, uh, it's just such a different deal. And every time you get better and better and better. And so I think that, uh, for me, it's, it's one, it's fun to get away and go to a new spot, but two, it's, it's really a good test. Right. And it's something I just, you know, it's, and it's difficult. And I really like that, uh, you know, growing up and chasing steelhead, steelhead are notoriously difficult fish to catch and uh you know and you can be there sometimes fishing for them and they might not even be there and i feel like uh you know saltwater brings a different end of the spectrum it's like you're sitting there waiting to see something really before you're making a cast and and then really testing out your casting ability and all that and uh yeah i've just been fortunate enough to meet a lot of people you know working in the industry who are saying hey we got an extra spot open on this trip or hey would you like to go down with us at this time um I had a great client that I've been guiding for years and years uh, who actually asked me to go down to Belize with them uh, where I met you. And that was fantastic. And, uh, you know, I, I know you know this, but I got COVID down there the second day of the trip. And so I didn't get to do a lot of fishing, unfortunately. Yeah. So it wasn't uh, as great of an experience for me. I know that you got into a lot of different species and had a couple shots of permit and got a nice barracuda yeah. and uh, some juvenile tarpon. Yeah, it was, uh, like you said, it's a big learning experience. It almost felt like just a completely different sport. The casting, yeah, I mean, the you know, the mechanics of casting are the same, and that's about it, I, I think. Like, the, everything else is um, basically 100% different. And like you said, spotting the fish, like, I could not believe what the guide could do. And we were talking to him about this while we were there. We were like, I wonder how you would do if you came to Colorado and cause he, our guide had never um, fished freshwater in his life. Um, he'd never fished for trout or like he's, he is solidly a saltwater guy and had always, you know, made his life around this. And I was like, I wonder how difficult you would find it if you came to like a technical trout fishery in Colorado would, cause, cause in my mind, saltwater was way harder. Like I can go out and catch trout all day long without a problem. And then down there I was, I was struggling and I wasn't sure if it's actually harder, like way harder, or if it's just that I have no idea what I'm doing. And, you know, would he come and throw like a, a technical nymph rig and just be slaughtered by the trout the same way I was slaughtered down there? Or would it be like, no, this is pretty easy. Like, I don't have to cast very far. I don't have to like hit it right the first time or else the fish is scared away. Like, what do you like? What do you think would happen in that case? Do you think someone from saltwater who grew up in saltwater would come and um, find trout fairly easy? Or do you think it would not translate? Ooh, that's a good question. I, uh, I just think, like you said, there is such a different animal. It's so different. Yeah. You're down there and you know, you're really, you know, when you're, you're saltwater fishing, if you're doing a DIY or with a guide, you know, you're relying on your eyes and, and there's, I think there's just a lot more, I think saltwater fishing is tougher. I think every, a lot of things have to align. And a lot of times you only get one shot, you know, maybe two shots at that fish and then they're gone into the, you know, to the abyss, you know what I mean? I think, uh, you know, with trout fishing, if you're in a stream, uh, you know, you get multiple shots at fish if you're standing and waiting. I think some of the concepts would be difficult for a saltwater guy who's never, you know, freshwater fish to come up, but I think they'd, they'd get it. I'll never forget this. A good buddy of mine, Frank Smothers, uh, he's been in some fly fishing movies and things like that. And he, Oh, you know he always, him? Yeah. Oh, Uncle Frank is what I call him. Yeah, I've guided with him <laughs> in Alaska and uh, yeah, he's a good buddy. And uh, he said that, uh, you know, fresh water is for drinking, salt water is for fishing. <laughs> but he's a trout guide in Colorado. And he loves it too. It's just, you know, one of those sayings or whatever. But uh, yeah, I think, I don't know. I think I, uh, I've been so used to, you know, being out in the West or in colder climates. I don't know that my body would, uh, 
you know, it might take a while for me to adjust to being in, you know, those warmer saltwater temperatures for that long. I, uh, I really enjoy being able to mix it up, but, uh, saltwater fishing is definitely something I, I feel like is just a lifelong, a lifelong endeavor that you just got to keep going and doing more and more to, to get, you know, better and better. Yep. I still get my butt kicked out there. that makes me feel um simultaneously better and worse i guess like knowing that i'm not going to go back the next time and just suddenly be a pro now but also uh it's not just me (laughs) so yeah it's kind of like good and bad but um i think you're right i think definitely think there's some luck that gets you know goes into it with salt water yeah yeah for sure i mean even just like are the fish there are they not like that's one thing that mike and i were talking about after the trip was that in freshwater I'm not, I'm not often looking for a specific trout. Sometimes you can, but a lot of times it's just looking for water that would hold a trout. And you can assume that probably one is in there. And if not, then you just walk to the next run that looks like it has a trout and there's probably one in there. And you kind of just, you've got lots of shots. You just stand there and you keep putting your fly in there and eventually something will happen or it won't, but then you can move on. And saltwater, it's like, you might have like five very specific opportunities. And outside of those five specific opportunities, there are no other opportunities happening. Like you're not fishing in between those. Um, and that, that part, I think you're right that it's just kind of harder because if you mess up, there is no, just like, I don't know, just walk up to the next hole and blind cast to get into that hole until you get a trout. Like, uh, it feels very much deliberate. You have to execute perfectly right now, or you don't, you, you're done. Um, and I think that would be easier coming from the saltwater world and being like, wow, there's trout everywhere. Like I messed up on that one, but there's another one sitting right next to it. That's not going anywhere. Right. Or you're like, don't have the right fly on. So you can actually like pull it in and change your flies and then recast into the same, yeah. you know, same hole or same, same riffle and try to pull out a fish, you know, and, and present right. the right fly to them. Whereas, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been standing on the bow of a, of a ponga or of a flats boat and, you know, you're standing there and you're just waiting, waiting, waiting. And then you finally get your shot and you just had let your guard down just a little bit. And, you know, you're standing on your line or you're just not ready or you pulled your fly line in a little bit. So you, you've got your uh, connection knot inside your, your tip of your rod and, you know, and you're just like beating yourself up because you're like, that was my shot yep, and I wasn't was. ready for it. <laughs> yes, yeah. I think uh, trout fishing, you get a little bit, you know, you get a lot more second chances. Absolutely. Like you said, you could just, you could sit down. You could be like, I'm going to just sit down and drink a beer and change my fly and nothing will change. Like the fish will still be exactly right there doing exactly the same thing as it was before. But I bet they'd be, I bet they'd have some time adjusting to the trout set. And now the the tables would be turned. (laughs) Right? No kidding. (laughs) Yeah. It's always fun going down there after you've been trout fishing for a long time and you know not the trout set, but guess what happens? You lift that rod tip right up in the air. You know, I don't actually think that I struggled with that as much as I expected to. I don't know why, but that part, I feel like I got down pretty quickly. Um, it was the spotting the fish that I never got better at. Like, I I couldn't see a bonefish by the end unless it still was out of the water. I, I never came around. Mike said he, like, by the end was kind of spotting him, but I don't know. I just can't do it. Well, I think it's funny, too, because, you know, you, you start, you know, hopefully you're down there and you're, you know, on the salt for, you know, five to seven days or something. You're getting out there and every day and you you get better and better, especially at, at sighting in these fish. Right. And then, and then you leave and, you know, maybe the next time you go back down is a year later. And then you feel like, you know, for me, at least I feel like you start right back over and then it takes a few days to, you know, get your eyes to adjust and, and to get back into it. So there's always that, uh, that battle of time, right. Where you're, you're going through. And then I've been out there too, when you're all day and you don't see anything. And I feel like your eyes start to play tricks on you and you're like, I see something. And then the guy's like, no, there's nothing there. 
<laughs> <laughs> and you got to trust him because you know that he actually knows whether there's something there. Oh, yeah, exactly. If he says cast, I'm casting. Do you have any more um, big trips planned for the future right now? Or are you kind of just hanging tight and things will happen when they happen? Uh, right now, I think the next opportunity I have to go saltwater fishing will be in November uh, at my buddy's lodge down in Ishkalak, Mexico, called the X-Flats. He uh, puts on what they call Guide Week, and we get a big group of buddies. He used to guide here in the Bale Valley with me. Um, and, uh, so we get to go down there and, uh, get a big group of buddies together and do some fishing. And it's always a lot of fun, a lot of heckling, a lot of everything. And so, uh, I think right now that's my, uh, my next opportunity. I missed it last year cause I had shoulder surgery, uh, right when I got done guiding in Alaska. So, uh, that's, uh, right now that's the next plan. And, you know, we're still cranking out here and busy, busy season for us. And so, uh, things will start to settle down, you know, around the the end of September and then uh okay. then I'll be definitely looking forward to getting into some some you know different water and uh and going to hang out with a bunch of buddies but I think that's that's the only thing I've got planned so far but uh hopefully that'll change here as as uh, we get through the season and I'll start looking for some more places to go through the winter very cool well just to um wrap up where can people find you if they want to book a trip with you or shoot you a message or, you know, basically where would you like to send people if they're, if they're looking for you either for fishing or private chef or any of the other uh, numerous things you do? Yeah, you can reach out to me uh, on Instagram and uh, it's uh, my IG handle is Benny Peaks and that is uh, my name and then P-I-E-K-S. Uh, otherwise, you can reach out at coloradoanglingcompany.com. I also have a website, benpcars.com, that you can contact me at. Uh, but yeah, we'd love to get people together for both and, and hopefully even one of our cast and taste trips where we'll take you fishing and then cook you a gourmet meal. So Sounds like you can't beat that. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, um, thank you for, for coming on today. I feel like uh, we didn't get a ton of time to talk in Belize because you were quarantined and I was getting my ass <laughs> yeah. kicked out on the water. So <laughs> there was a lot of like saying hi from afar, but um, it was like super fun to connect with you here because uh, to meet in Belize, but have you be like an hour and a half away is, is kind of a funny coincidence. So um, I really enjoyed talking to you today. Yeah. Thanks so much for asking me to be on and uh, you guys got to come up and get on my boat out here and we'll, uh, we'll do some fishing and be able to, uh, you know, talk more, but we should do it while we're chasing fish. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, one of my friends has been begging me to come up and fish Gore Creek because I've never fished it. So maybe I'll hit you up when I end up that way. Yeah, please do. You better. All right. Sounds good. All right, Benny, take care. I will uh, talk to you soon. All right, Katie. Thanks so much. All right, that's a wrap. Uh, thank you all for listening. If you want to find all the other episodes as well as show notes, you can find those on fishuntamed.com. Um, you'll also find a contact link there if you want to reach out to me. And you can also find me on Instagram at fishuntamed. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can give it a follow on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. And if you'd like to leave a review, it would be greatly appreciated. Uh, but otherwise, thank you all again for listening. I'll be back here in two weeks with another episode. Take care, everybody.